Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. Dumpty, 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 dum, dumpty, dumpty, da, da. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on of Ambridge. I'm Jacqueline Berto, who is very partial to a glass of the Bulls premium Prosecco. And I'm Stephen Bowden, who has no choice but to let Jacqueline go. Oh, no. Don't worry, it was just a practical joke. Ha ha. (laughs) And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who like to live on the edge with the new cocktails in the bar. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Sarah MacDonald Hughes. And coming up, we have calls from... Witherspoon, who has further thoughts on Harry and Eve... Bernadette, who is not happy about how the Grundys are treated. Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, who is really feeling for Harrison at the moment. Catherine, who wants them to stop making people nice. David, who has his sights on a new employer. Emma from Poland, who is wondering why one person's absence can throw the bull into such chaos. And finally, Brian, who feels there's been a bit of a competition this week. We also have an email from Chris G., we're safely back in Indiana. Plus, we have the week in Ambridge from Sui, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group from Vicky, and the tweets of the week from Theo. But before we start prattling on too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened over the last seven days with the roundup of the week in Ambridge from our Sui. <laughs> Hello lovely people, it's Sue here, Queen Altar on the Twitches and Blue Sky. Time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge. So David decided to transfer his pint-pulling skills from running the barn into the bull to support Kenton and Jolene. But let's be fair, he was taking his supervisory skills to a level Susan would be proud of. He was talking to the public rather than bottling up, collecting glasses, changing the barrels, you know, all the stuff you do when you work in a pub. By the time we got to Friday, he was trying to control Tony's birthday drinking. Give the lad a break, David. He appears to have successfully escaped the farm for once, and he was missing his sister, Jenny. Although, actually, give him both barrels, David, after he pulled that stunt sacking Adam in front of Clary Love and Susan. It was all a ruddy joke. Well, it wasn't funny. Let's just stop with the stupid jokes. Please, please, script writers. 
He did redeem himself, Tony that is, by helping to deliver a car from Brookfield as Pip and Ruth were holding the fort at the farm. Tony, you're a plot. But David hasn't really redeemed himself. He was making Valentine's cocktails. Oh dear. Harry was full of smarm at the beginning of the week, letting Alice know that he really loved her. He didn't care what his mother thought. He really is a tactless clot. At the mini-golf double date, he was questioning Fallon and Harrison about their childless status and asking Fallon if she was pregnant. Never, ever, 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 how many times can I say that? Ask a woman whether she's pregnant, unless you're a gynaecologist. By Friday, he'd got arrested by Harrison for being drunk and disorderly. He and Alice are a disaster waiting to happen. Paul has been given permission to push off to his grandmother, Patricia, in St Lucia and take time off from the vets following a fall. So that clears the way for Alistair and Denise to hook up, although Alistair was signed up for a country courting dating app via a card dropped off at the surgery. There was some twaddle about the Valentine card and did it come from Denise. But frankly, I lost the will to live listening to all of that. Alistair got a swipe right, I think it is, from someone but can't possibly go and meet them as that would bugger things up with Denise. Well, I can hardly wait for next week. This week was so enjoyable. Anyway, have a good one. Thanks for that, Suey. Great roundup as ever. So, Stephen, how's your week been? Well, let's see. This time last week, I was talking about the fact that I was about to make some baguettes, which tasted fine, looked extremely ugly, but there you are. (laughs) Uh, and the crust was very crusty, so the, the steam function on the oven worked well, the proofing drawer worked well. Everything went uh, very much to plan as far as that was concerned, which was great. And otherwise, it's mostly been about dealing with the, the long-running drains issue in oh, my no, not flat. still the drains. <laughs> but the good news was they have finally found two problems, Ooh. one of which was a blockage in the drain, and the other was a crack in the drain and the blockage is causing the water to rise up above the crack and seep into my flat. They have jetted out the blockage, but the work involved in fixing the crack, they probably, they think given that it runs into a, an ancient cast iron pipe that goes under the floor, they don't know quite where, rather than try and deal with that. They're talking about trying to divert it into a different drain that also runs under the floor that at least they can get at. So who knows, they could be ripping out the entire bedroom floor for all I know, but that's better than ripping out the floor for the rest of the flat, trying to find where the existing drain goes. So still plenty more chapters of fun to come. How about you? How has your week been? Well, my week uh, was great because I had last weekend, as you know, in England, and the journey back was almost trouble-free. But I did bring back a kind of laryngitis kind of bug, which you can probably hear. Yeah, you are sounding a bit croaky. More croaky than normal. And we're not even that early here. I've been awake for quite a few hours. But I have to say, I want to give a big call out to my dad because he, as we've talked about before, my mum died last September and he has Parkinson's disease and he has taken to living alone very well. He has a carer that goes in every afternoon to make sure he gets a hot meal. He has rediscovered his love of music. He's always been a musician and very keen member of a choir. And he is playing music more than watching the telly and stuff like that. He learned six or seven years ago when he was first diagnosed, he realized he wasn't going to be able to write. So he 
bought himself a tablet and learned to use it. At the age of going on for 90 now, he is a very adept. He can order his prescriptions. He can read his newspaper. He's got a subscription to a newspaper that I wouldn't touch with a barge pole. But there we go. And I just am impressed by him. So I think that people say that uh, old dogs can't learn new tricks. Well, that old dog. Well done, Mike, because I'm very proud of you. <clears throat> that sounds excellent. Yeah, Good. it's great. So I think that's enough about us for now. Shall we get on to that important bit, which is you, our lovely caller in res. Hello, Pusscat. And first up, we have this from a familiar voice. Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's with a spoon and Angus Haggis here, caller entering on Sunday because I wanted to respond to the discussion about Harry and Eve during today's podcast, which actually now is last week. I'm going out on a very tiny ledge here. No, I don't think Harry is vile. I think he is human, a mixture of good and not so good traits, and one who demonstrates a range of behaviors in response to situations. First off, as he said, He's falling in love with Alice, and up until this crisis with his mother, he's been a great support of her. May I remind you that Chris did not always handle things with Alice very well. Regarding Chris and Harry, I think that Harry becomes very anxious when he's around Alice's ex and is doing this weird overcompensating thing, which I believe is not a reflection of his true personality, though I do think there's a posh boy aspect of him, but that does not make him evil. And of Sunday, we still don't know what's going on medically with him, which complicates things. Harry's level of denial leads to his not opening up to Alice. Again, human, not vile. Regarding Eve, yes, her response to finding out about Alice's history was very, very judgmental and unfair. I should note that finding out that your son's new girlfriend threw a brick through a window is very disconcerting, but she handled it extremely poorly. Telling your 35-year-old son that he can't date someone reflects a controlling aspect of their parent-child relationship. I do hope Harry can stand up to her. As I noted on Facebook, I also hope that she can embark on a journey of acceptance. And remember what we thought of Linda, Jim, and Joy when they each arrived in Ambridge. Let Eve be a Jim and not a Bruce Titchener. And a word about Alice. Please go to more AA meetings for support. And please, please speak to your sponsor at length. Talk to you soon. Thank you for that call, Witherspoon. Of course, that came in right at the beginning of the week, and we've learned an awful lot more about Harry since then. So I'm not going to say too much about your thoughts on Harry. Uh, we haven't learned much more about Eve. I'm, I'm still very much don't appreciate her judgmental nature. I don't think that she's a, a great person. You do say that many people don't like Harry at the moment, but the same was true of Joy, Jim, and Linda. Of those three, I think one is slightly different, which is Jim, because when Jim arrived in the village, he was a deeply unpleasant, cantankerous, selfish old man in a wheelchair making outrageous demands on Shula and Alistair, and he has changed. I think that's, that's less true of Joy and Linda, and I think we've learned to love them. They have been incomers who have, to a greater or lesser extent, launched themselves into the village. Linda in a very much, this isn't how we did it in Sunningdale type of way. Joy much more 
accommodating. And I think that Linda is, she's a bit like Lucia in the Map and Lucia books. Yeah, she is. And uh, whereas as Joy is, I, I, I think just, she's very much herself, but she's very much very happy to let other people be exactly what they want to be. Whereas Linda, I think, wanted to be part of the village, but somewhat on her own terms. And I, I don't think that's changed. But as she's got older and as everybody's learned to live with her, I think everything's adapted to her. Uh, yeah. But that wasn't really the thrust of your call with us, wound. Well, yeah, as you say, the story has moved on uh, with Harry and we've got this Friday episode where he was in a drunken state, really, really drunk and belligerent with it and obviously being thrown out of the pub. Lost his wallet, lost his mobile phone. That's a bad way to get into, even on a Friday night in Borchester. But maybe that's why. We've got this mystery of Harry's illness and what the blood test showed up. And maybe he's taking tablets for something that don't go well with alcohol. Because we've had that this week as well with Kenton. Alcohol, painkillers? Hmm, don't know. Luckily, I've never been in a position to have to take strong enough painkillers to not be able to have a glass of wine. That's Maybe that's just me. But it, it is a mystery around Harry. And maybe this moving on of his story and his mother's horrible attitude towards Alice was maybe because of alcohol. So it's all a mystery still. And I think it's a story that's going to keep on dripping out for us, depending on the writer. Yes, well, I think we've got more calls covering Harry and our final call came in after Friday's episode. We'll <laughs> address the, the developments there then, perhaps. And we also have a call that talks later on about the development of Linda as a character. That's true. But next up, we have Bernadette. Bernadette Hawks here, Archers fan 2015. As a former member of the professional classes, that's when I had a proper job as a psychotherapist, with parents who were forced into the working class when they arrived in the UK, I find it extremely irritating and insulting how the lower orders are treated in the Archers. I wasn't ever a big fan of the Grundys, especially Joe, but I did have some sympathy for them. These days, the only Grundy I care about is Clary Love, who of late seems to have been hovering on the edge of a breakdown. A friend of mine who is an educational psychologist agreed. Why do the script editors and script writers hate the Grundys? And I do mean hate. None of this wishy-washy liberal stuff coming from me today. The Grundys aren't allowed to be happy, successful or prosperous. Or when they are in a good place, it doesn't last for very long. Also, it's not just the Grundys who seem to fall foul of the class opprobrium of the writers, etc. Thinking of Tracy, Chelsea and Brad, who often get the shitty end of the stick too. The persecution of the working class in the Archers is seemingly inevitable and relentless. I'm tired of the storylines which reduce the Grundys et al. to the role of rude mechanicals. This factor, combined with the unsuccessful attempts at comedy, pushed me ever closer to the edge of giving up on the Archers, which used to be an escape from what used to be sometimes difficult work environments. Nowadays, it's all too real. Disgusted of Kent, signing off now. Thank you for that, Bernadette. And thank you for revealing something about your professional life. Very interesting. So the lower orders, hmm, it's always been like this. And will it always be like it? Will it continue to be like it? I don't know. It's something that's rankled with a lot of us, I think, for many, many years. And I am particularly, like you, concerned about Clary. Clary is in a very stressful situation. Well, apart from living with Eddie, which would stress me out anyway, 
and his shenanigans and his lack of compassion and caring for her as his wife, who is always there, you know, mending his socks or washing his socks or whatever. And I, I've hated her discomfort about the jokiness. She was horrified a week or so ago when Susan started making things up for Adam to do. And you could feel that Clary was stressed by that and uncomfortable. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think the writers should give the Grundys a break. I do think they have given the Horribins a break, though, because we've got Brad, who is a good student and going to university. Tracy's found Jazza, although we might not completely like Jazza as a character, although lots of people love him, Stephen, if not us. It's a very interesting concept, but I think there will always be that feudalism in Ambridge. I'd be very surprised if in our lifetimes it disappears. Firstly, Bernadette, please don't give up on listening to the Archers, because if you give up on listening to the Archers, then you won't be able to call into Dumpty Dum with your views on them, which are always very valuable. I'm going to advance a slightly controversial view, which is that, yes, the Grundys are oppressed and always have things going wrong, but so does everybody in the Archers, and that's the whole point about the programme. So Oliver, yeah, comfortably well off and so forth, and yet the love of his life, Caroline, has died. Grey Gables suffered a, a really bad fire, and then everything went crazy with Ardil, and he had to sell some land to raise money. So he hasn't had it all plain sailing. Yes, he started off comfortable, so it, it feels slightly different. But even so, that's been a problem. Brookfield, well, they've had the problems of the Route B going through. They've had foot and mouth disease. They've had all kinds of things like that. Home farm. Jenny has had to put up with Brian's philandering. The whole buried chemicals crisis, which led to them selling her beautiful house and losing her kitchen and, and so on. And then she's died. There have been a lot of tragedies. Lillian has lost two husbands, both of whom have died. They may be slightly different, but I don't think anybody in the Archers has always had it plain sailing. And it's just that because the Grundys start off low and stay low, we feel it differently from those who are starting off much better off, but still suffering. And in some cases, I, th I think that when it comes to deaths, I suppose the Grundys have suffered the death of Nick. By and large, as individuals, they've managed to get through. The death rate among the upper classes has been somewhat higher. Nigel coming off the roof, for instance, as I said, Lillian's husband's two husbands dying, another one turning out to be a crook and disappearing off to Costa Rica. And now she's stuck with Justin, which has got to be at least as bad as being stuck with Eddie. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I, th I think it's not that all the bad stuff happens to the poorer characters and all the good stuff happens to the richer ones. I think different bad things happen across the village. That is a very interesting point of view. And in fact, when you're making that list like that, it makes me wonder why on earth we carry on listening. <laughs> <laughs> all that negativeness that happens. But I suppose that's because it is, as some people say, I don't agree with them, that it's a soap. So there we go. Yeah. Our next call has somebody who has views on another character who has going through some hard times, perhaps. This comes from Jen. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dumland. Jen here. Feeling very sorry for Harrison this week. It took us 10 years to have kids. So for 10 years, we were childless, not by choice. And we experienced what I now know is called disenfranchised grief, which is having grief that you're not really meant to be allowed to have. You're not meant to be sad about not being able to have children. You're meant to get over it. You're meant to go, oh, not for me. And people don't like it if you do have that grief. 
And I think Fallon has put Harrison in that position. Yes, he had a choice, but she laid it right down the line. You have this choice now. If you stay with me, I don't want you having any regrets. I don't want you having bad feelings. I don't want you making me feel sad because you're sad that you don't have kids, essentially. And of course he's sad he doesn't have kids. And of course it hurts him when it comes up, when friends have babies, when he sees friends' wives pregnant, when they get invited to christenings. It will hurt him now and it's going to hurt him in years to come when all his friends start having grandchildren and they don't have grandchildren. It's unfair of her to expect those feelings to go away. He can't control them. He loves children. He wanted children. And he got given Hobson's choice. Either get rid of the woman of your dreams, your home, everything you've built up as a couple, or don't have kids. And I really don't think it's as simple as that. I think Balin could have explored it more. She could have looked at other options, maybe fostering or adoption. They could have thought about it more or agreed to keep talking. And she wouldn't. Also a little bit fed up that Alice didn't mention that she thought she didn't want children, but now she's got one. She's rather fond of it. But there we go. So poor old Harrison really feeling thrown this week. Thank you for that call, Jen. I'm not sure I completely agree with you that Fallon is being unfair on Harrison. I think Fallon has made her position entirely clear. She doesn't want children. And I think that it's not quite reasonable to suggest that Harrison's desire for children is is somehow more important than than Fallon's feeling of, of not wanting to have children. I think it's going to be different in every couple, but I think that she has been open and clear about her position on all of this, and Harrison has signed up to it. And yes, it's a horrible choice to have to make. I think it's more Sophie's choice than Hobson's choice. Hobson's choice was just about when you went to get a horse from Hobson, you hired whichever one came to the stable door first. So your choice was the first horse to arrive. It's the difficult choice between going with Fallon not having children and always wanting to have children or leaving Fallon and finding somebody who does want children. And I think that Fallon has been sympathetic and recognises that Harrison has made a, a huge sacrifice for that and is being as supportive as she can be without actually crossing the line and saying, let's have children. And I don't think adoption or anything like that is, is the answer because that's just the same thing. That's the sort of stuff that Fallon has decided that she doesn't want. And yeah, maybe Alice could say, I didn't want children until Martha came along, but that hasn't been plain sailing. And I'm not sure that looking at the, the whole Martha situation, particularly as it was, as she arrived when Alice was still uncontrolled alcoholic, I'm not sure that that's the right model to throw up. Things are better now, but I'm not sure that anybody would choose to go through what Alice went through to get to the position that she's in now. What do you think, In fact, I feel like Jen, really, that Harrison needs to work through that, the situation. Yes, it's a very interesting choice that Fallon has always, as you say, been very open about her lack of wanting children. But if he's struggling and his brother's got a child because they've looked after it, haven't they? Or did he go to a baptism? I can't remember. But she has to realise that he is struggling with it, which I think she's worried about this week, hasn't she? And she has to give him a bit of slack to talk it through because Harrison's a bit of a bumbly, jokey type of person. But he obviously feels things deeply. This whole thing about wanting to change from being an everyday copper to a wildlife copper. He's thought about that and about the effect on their lives, maybe searching for something else to fill his life with because he's not going to have children. And maybe he needs to work through it. And I think she has to be more patient 
So I agree with Jen to a, a certain extent. I do feel sorry for Harrison because he's trapped not being able to talk about it with Fallon because it's one of those ongoing conversations that you can't change the outcome of the conversation. He decided not to have children, but he perhaps still has to do some more work to satisfy himself that it's the right thing for him. So maybe he needs to talk to either Witherspoon or Bernadette. Oh, those are both uh, very sensible options. Of course, it was all triggered this week by Harry's complete crassness mm, yeah. and social ineptitude at the mini golf. And that was one of the two developments in the Harry storyline that Witherspoon hadn't had a chance to hear when he called in. And I just want to say, I've been giving them the benefit of the doubt throughout, but he's definitely drinking in the last chance saloon, or, or maybe he's been thrown out of the last chance saloon because uh, we don't know quite what has happened. There may be some sort of explanation as mm. to, to what has triggered this, whether it's related to his illness or whether he's realized what a nightmare he was in terms of the conversation with Harrison. And but he Fallon. didn't appear to remember on Friday night. It even seemed to appear to recognize Harrison to begin with. And certainly hadn't made the effort to remember his name, Morrison. Yes. <laughs> Bits of subtle advertising for someone there. But going back to Harry and that famous mini golf bit of the program, we see Harrison didn't even really want to go, did he? And I felt he was reluctant because he didn't know anything about Harry, but perhaps he has heard of Harry in his line of work. We can imagine all sorts of backstories, can't we? We can, yes. It, I can imagine, yeah. Harrison didn't want to go, perhaps, because mini golf is something you normally associate with screaming children. So on, and not one of these modern ones with serving alcohol. They did. They had a bar. Yeah, they? exactly. Bar. The, this, that's not the mini golf that we grew up with. When we were playing mini golf, it was outside, miserable weather. Um, <laughs> Something to do on a rainy day at the seaside. With balls, which was definitely not spherical and all a bit shabby. <laughs> We've got a mini golf here and it's open in the summer months in the school holidays. So we usually have a ritual afternoon playing mini golf with the tourists. I usually end up doing lots of translation. So <laughs> There's an indoor one here in Chartland, which I guess is like this one that they went to. Indoor mini golf, my yeah. goodness. I've never been. I've never been. I think it's pirate themed or something bizarre like that. So oh, definitely your kind of thing, Stephen. Put a patch over your eye and get down there this afternoon. Anyway, we should probably move on to our next yeah. call. And this one is from Catherine. Hi everyone, it's Catherine. Is anyone else reeling from the very busy bull, bucking the trend of these last few weeks being the slowest in hospitality, crowned only by the horror that is for hospitality people of Valentine's Night, which apparently is their most hated night of the year, I read somewhere. But there's the bull rammed with people, all the noise, all the staff repeatedly asking people, what are you having? And then not taking any orders in, but just talking amongst themselves. Lillian, who's too good for this, having that weird screaming row with David. Somebody else falling off their seat the other side of the bar, Kenton being an absolute arse and coming back from hospital and then coming into the pub all the bloody time. So yeah, just the bull. Why is it so busy? And what is the ploughman? Everyone, you all seem to know. I have no idea what the ploughman is. And then second point, Linda. I wish they'd decide what her character is because she goes from being horrific, horrible, judgy old bag, which she has been quite bad. Do you remember when Thingy was taking drugs for his loss of hair and she was vile about that? to kindly old lady sage, empathetic and whatever, all with your heart of gold. She seems to swing from one to the other, and I don't like it. I prefer her as an old bag, really. This sort of 
kindly thing that has happened also to Jim when, as uh, you were saying last week, he turned out to be a bit of an arse at the beginning and now he's everyone's favourite grandpa. I think we do have to serve some people who are without redemption. Also, uh, George, he was vile, wasn't he? Now they've made him all kind. Stop making people kind. Have a great week. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for that call. Yeah, the bull was exceptionally busy this week after talk of only a month and a half ago that it was going to be going down the pan and the, the pub would close. So that was quite surprising. And also, yeah, one person down. I think Kenton does do a lot of the back stuff, doesn't he? Because he does do all the barrel changing and glass collecting and putting it all through the dishwasher and everything and it's behind the, the bar. He definitely isn't a David who just stands and chats. Jolene wouldn't let him get away with that. So yeah, I was a bit frustrated that Clary had got the push because they said, oh, she couldn't cope with the till when she was trying to help out. But David apparently managed to work it out straight away, which I don't quite understand because I don't take David as, think of David as a technically connected person. Now, character tra- tra- character swings. So Catherine doesn't like the fact that Linda is written in two forms. I think we've talked a bit, you talked about her earlier on. I think that Linda is a she is a generally kind person. So I think she's genuinely wanting the best for people and very kind. And just that when she's got a job in hand, she's officious about it and likes to stick to the rules. So I think my family would probably say I'm a bit like that as well. <laughs> I don't think there's two types of Linda. I think Linda is, is fairly consistent throughout. But the way that she is brushes different people up in, in different ways. And I think some people react against her and it all comes across as quite combative and then other people she gets on very well with a lot of the time it's to do with things like her village productions and so forth when she's in charge or when she's leading on something she very much wants to do it her way and if you don't want to do it her way then that's where sparks fly and it it all gets quite heated whereas if it's something like a b&b at ambridge hall she's the perfect host and the way that she is a host fits in with what people might expect at a B&B like Ambridge Hall. She lays everything on brilliantly. She set up this adapted room to make it accessible for people who might struggle with stairs or whatever, following from her own experience, and that's been perfect for Kenton. So I think that she is consistent. George, yeah, we've had a bit too much of Maurice George recently. We do want him to stay pretty awful mm. and because yeah we do need some out and out villains and george is the obvious candidate for his generation and because... i trust that he will come back as a baddie i don't i think this is a pause yes i think that he's technically very able so i, I think that if anybody is going to become a, a scammer an online scammer within the village george has got all the right traits the technical know-how and the, the psychopathic mindset They've definitely set him up also with his attitude to women and suggested this kind of incel influence. So it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out. But I think they'll, we'll go in a wave of having George. Maybe when Brad goes off to university and George will be left behind, maybe we'll have a thing. Should we have our next call? And this one is from David. It's David from Carmarthen Chat. And I'm just calling in to find out how I can apply for a job with Level James, because their compassionate leave policy is extraordinarily generous. I've worked for a variety of multinational companies over the years, some of which had really outstanding, amazing, generously wonderful benefits. Uh, and I can't imagine 
such a compassionate leave policy working for Paul to go and see his grandmother at short notice. Firstly, lots of compassionate leave policies don't extend to grandparents. Secondly, there's already a family member going out uh, to see the unfortunate lady who's had a fall. I just find it laughable that Paul would be allowed to go at a, at a drop of a hat and on an open-ended time frame as well. It just seems laughable. This is obviously a, a device to get Paul and Paul's dad out of the way so that Alistair and Denise can get together. But I find it really jarring because, of course, just a few weeks ago, we were hearing about how rapacious Level James were in getting staff to upsell products to customers, and Denise was furious with that. Suddenly, they're giving out compassionate leave, like sweets. It just doesn't really ring true. Anyway, look out for me working in the surgery at Ambridge very soon. I'm going to put my application in straight away. Well vowed. Bye. Thank you very much for that call, David. Yeah, it, it does seem that the company that was encouraging everybody to upsell and, and generally be very money-focused isn't the same as a company that would offer compassionate leave at the drop of a hat. I have to assume it's completely unpaid leave. So yeah. maybe the key point here is that they see it as a way of saving a bit of money because they won't have to pay him. The same amount of work will get done. It'll just all get done by Denise with Alistair and Jacob leaning in a bit. The downside is, of course, that when, when it turns out they can cope without Paul, they may decide to cut that post back again and we'll yeah. end up with only room for one veterinarian at the Ambridge practice after all. So th there is a, a bit of a risk there. But I'd, otherwise, I look forward to seeing David turn up as a reserve veterinarian that's covering for when Paul has been sacked and Denise is off on her honeymoon with Alistair. <laughs> Good prediction there, Stephen. Yeah, I agree. But I want to talk about Denise. Denise is a funny character because obviously they had a conversation, her and Alistair, a few weeks ago where they acknowledged the fact that there was an attraction between them. But she's been a very funny, she has a funny attitude. I know she had that, oh, she got all cross about that, the selling and everything. And yet she's running, she's organizing things of her own around her life in Ambridge with working with Alan, the vicar, and using the church as a social hub for the kitten club and all the rest of it. But I just felt her affront when Alistair showed her the Valentine's card and stuff like that. There's something very prickly about her, which didn't exist before she went off to the other practice for those months and Paul replaced her. I'm not sure I'm liking Denise at the moment. I think it's probably to do with her domestic situation and the fact that her marriage is probably in a worse state than we know. Mm. We know that they're sort of not talking to each other, but it could be getting worse and worse. And so I think constantly being exposed to Alastair, with whom she is attracted to Alastair, I think she's also torn by all these family ties. Now, there's a possibility that John will decide to stay in St. Lucia when he yeah, gets I out. That too. Yeah. And they might say, well, that's fine, but the marriage is over and he's going to stay there. He's going to start a new life there. Uh, Paul will come back, I would imagine. And, and, and that will be sort of how it gets resolved and they'll agree to end, end the marriage, at which point things will become a lot easier for Denise as long as I don't know how much money John brings into the, the household, uh, but if he's spending all his time cycling, it's, he may have retired. By now. Yeah. So that might be what's going to happen. Oh, Stephen, another good prediction. I hope someone's making notes so we can come back to you in, a, in six months' time and say, Stephen said, and there you are. Very good. 
So those are our first few calls, and there's a couple more to come very soon. Now, if you'd like to join in by calling us yourself or dropping us a line by message or email, Stephen's here to tell you how, and all the details are also in the show notes. The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com slash dumptydum, and don't forget the T in the middle. And the next option is to send us a voice note or message via WhatsApp on 07810-012-881 or plus four four and remove the first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. In either case, please try and keep your calls to a maximum of two minutes. That's something that SpeakPipe will actually enforce. You'll be cut off after two minutes. Or finally, we have an email address you can contact us on if you'd rather write to us with your views with a maximum of 250 words, please. And the email address is dumptydum at mail.com. And do bear in mind, you need to be at least 18 to contribute. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's great. So let's get back to our calls. Next up, we have Emma from Poland. Hi, this is Emma calling from Poland. Hello to everybody in Dumpty Dum land across the whole world. It's starting to look a lot more spring-like and green here now. We did hit minus 20 over winter, but now the grass is green, the sky is blue, and it's starting to be a little less chilly. Some thoughts about this week on the Archers. I haven't listened to Friday's episode yet, but my first thought was how on earth can one person being off from the pub cause such chaos, especially as Kenton never seems to do anything. Him not being there threw the entire thing into absolute chaos. The second thought was why is everyone acting so childishly and so unprofessionally? I teach children with much better social and communication skills than David, Lillian, Adam and Tony put together. The practical jokes culture just seemed very strange. Uh, Everyone was going against their character. Adam never seemed to have a sense of humour before. Not that this is particularly humorous at all. 
Clary always seemed to be more worried than funny, and Susan would lose her sense of superiority by playing a joke and having to admit to it. Tony can't even get rid of a cat, let alone David. The whole thing is just weird. So I hope that they come up with some different storylines next week and that Helen does not get involved in the practical joke or the repercussions of it at all. Anyway, goodbye, and um, I will listen with interest tomorrow. Bye. Thanks for that call, Emma. Oh, minus 20. I bet you're glad that's all over and done with. I think the lowest we got to this year was about minus four, so which is absolutely nothing. Barely touched the edges of the pond. So yeah, chaos in the bull. We talked about that. But this childish behaviour, Lillian, this week was particularly annoying. I, I felt that she was on edge. She was trying to deal with David, but David was being how David was. But it was very unprofessional. I really, I agree with Emma completely. I felt very disturbed by all that behavior. Uh, But also Kenton's reaction, Kenton's stress reaction. That was very interesting. Yes, Kenton seemed to be suffering from some sort of mild PTSD following the attack and made him really on edge when David and Lillian were bickering. One thing about the goings-on at the Bull that, concerns me. David jumping in and taking over and so on. We've had this sort of behavior from him before. And most critically, it was after Nigel's death, when he came in and started running low at Loxley. And that really started putting a massive amount of pressure on Brookfield. And we're beginning to see the same again. I don't think it's quite as serious because Kenton will be back in a few weeks, maybe. Whereas with Nigel, He was never coming back, and Elizabeth was completely against taking on any professional help in the way of a a manager to to cover it, despite the fact David was desperate for the trustees to tell her she needed to do that. But this is a a thing David does. He throws himself into somebody else's crisis and wants to be the, the big hero coming to the rescue for his brother, for his sister, and so on not really conscious of what's going on behind him. And I think it was putting stress on their marriage the last time. I don't think that's happening this time. But again, it's just a a repeated behavior that he Mm. needs to watch out for. Yeah, and and Pip was definitely disturbed by that this week. She was quite rude to Ruth at the beginning of the week, and they managed to pull together. And she got the help from Tony with the car. But they are two experienced farmers, but it's on a farm that's run by three people. So one man down at the pub and one man down at the farm. I think it's very curious how they manage to run the farm and how David does manage to get away for quite good chunks of time. I can understand if he was in the evening helping out to restock stuff and or even man the bar, but not. This seems to be there every morning, noon and evening. Yeah, and it, it would be different if it was a fairly quiet time of the year than the agricultural year isn't full on all the time. But with the carving just about to start, that's a pretty critical time. They can't have somebody missing once all the carving is going on because you can't rely on Tony just happening to pass by at a convenient moment. Maybe it's a time for Sam the cowman to come back. Is that Sammy Whipple? No, I was thinking more Or Sam Batten. Sam Batten, I was thinking. Yeah, no, Sammy Whipple was at home farm, I think. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, should we have our final call for the week? And this one is from Brian. Hi all, it's Brian. Hope you're well. It does seem to have been a who can be the most crass, tactless, and 
one case crawl in the week, some sort of Olympic event it's been this week. Started off with Adam and Tony making that prank on Carrie and Susan, who've done nothing wrong. I don't know why they deserve a lesson. Doesn't make sense to me. But employers shouldn't joke about sacking people. It's not on. Yeah, David making crash remark how Kenton feels and surprised when Kenton is not in a good way. And Harry and Harrison, so he's like that. But yeah, first you've got Harry making that awful remarks about children with Harrison and Fallon, none of his business. And then at the end of the week when Harry is drunk, which may or may not be something sinister, we don't know whether it's just a one-off, could be, but maybe not. And he obviously hadn't deemed Harrison worthy of his attention because he completely forgotten about him until he was reminded who he was. So it does speak a lot of volumes about Harry's character, I feel. Anyway, I'll leave it there. Thanks again. Have fun. Bye. Thank you very much for the call, Brian. And yes, Harry has been pretty awful, pretty crass during the middle of the week. I think his behaviour, even before Friday, was probably the worst in terms of unacceptable he was just proved himself to be totally socially inept, gauche, whatever. Surely any normal person would have been a lot more sensitive around raising topics like ask, do you ask somebody when they're pregnant? No, you don't ask somebody when they're pregnant. And I think the only time that it's safe to assume that a woman is pregnant is if she's actually in labour and 10 centimetres dilated or, or whatever. Before <laughs> then... You just err on the side of caution and you don't mention it. Some people thought Mary Tudor was pregnant and turned out to be some sort of growth insider, and that was all a bit awkward. Um, but that was, of course, 500 years ago. Things have moved on. Harry's <laughs> social graces have not moved with them. No, indeed, yes. Harry really, he said, oh, I was just prattling. But yeah, he's definitely a prattler, but I must have some, at the age of 30-something, he must have learned more social skills than that. I didn't, I didn't quite understand why Harry was, still don't understand why Harry was acting as he was acting in such a nervous manner. And he's got this, he's done this several times, hasn't he? Been this very bombastic person who's coming out and trying to force his will on people. That's how him and Alice met in the beginning after the incident with the fireworks and the horse, the niece's horse. We don't seem to hear anything else about the niece and her horse anymore. So that was a, it feels like that was a pretend drop in for Harry. But yeah, Harry, very crass, very unfortunate. David and Kenton. David was very unfortunate with the way in which he spoke to Kenton, but he did realise that he was being a bit triggering for Kenton and actually, but Kenton took it badly as only Kenton can between him and his brother. They've always done that, that kind of bickery relationship. So I didn't feel that was so disturbing. Then there was a treatment by Adam and Tony of Clary and Susan which I think we've come to the conclusion it was just deeply unfunny and deeply not sort unfriendly of and unprofessional. Yeah, absolutely. No, very uncomfortable that. <laughs> so those are all our calls. Thank you everyone for calling in. And um, we really, really enjoy hearing from you because you've got completely different views from us sometimes, and other times we all agree. So, did we receive any emails or WhatsApp messages this week, Stephen? Yes, we received the following from Chris with the subject of. Marriage Ambridge style. Dear Jacqueline Stephen and everyone in Dumpty Dumland, 
Is it just me or is Paul becoming a more rounded character? The happy mask I was tired of seems to drop when his mother irritates him, and you could hear the distress over his grandmother. I love seeing Paul with his own life and his own worries, and I hope he isn't on St. Lucia too long. Denise and Alastair. While Alastair is consistently dull, from her initial refusal to sell cat food to her offence over the suggestion that she may have sent Alastair a valentine, to rebuking Alistair for saying that the woman on his dating site might be crazy, she has become endlessly censorious and a bit of a crab. I can't be excited about this couple. And speaking of strange couples, Fallon and Harrison. When one partner wants children and the other has firmly decided not to have them, can the relationship last? Remember when Fallon was trying to get an eight-year lease from the Archers and they weren't responding? Harrison could easily have told his own wife that it was because of Rob Titchener, but he didn't. Or remember when Fallon wanted to walk out of the whole tea room situation, re-establish herself, but she couldn't because they needed the income because Harrison was working half-time, and he never once suggested that he would return to full-time work or find another job to pick up the slack, so Fallon could navigate restarting her business. There is something oddly selfish about this marriage, as if they're not partners, but two people who simply live in the same house. Am I too harsh? Maybe. Chris G, back in Indiana. Well, thank you for that, Chris. This made me think very hard, this this email, because I've already said earlier on in the programme that I didn't, I don't know what to make of Denise and her attitude. So I think we'll leave that to, for Stephen to discuss if he's going to. But Fallon and Harrison, when Jen called in and talked about Harrison and how she felt sorry for him, and I agree. But now Chris has listed other incidents between them. I believe Harrison is a professional and would never share anything with even his own wife. And I think that's completely normal. And being about Rob Titchener was definitely a secret that he had to keep. But will the marriage last? They seem to have have genuine affection for each other. So that's a good start. I think this is a portrait of a marriage without children and why it seems a bit odd. Because most marriages with, well, all marriages with children, one would hope, a lot of the focus is about that and it's forward-looking and so on. Whereas without children in the marriage and without, as we've discussed, the Fallon wanting to have children, you focus on other things. I'm not an expert in this, but I do wonder whether this is a bit more like some gay marriages where children aren't an issue. It's more common for gay marriages not to have children because of the hassle and the complexities of adoption and and so on and so i think maybe it would be seen more like that you could look at it more like that and there are a whole range of issues which are far more visible because of the absence of that central what about the children attitude yeah interesting as you say not necessarily experts in in this field but it's a very interesting story it's a very interesting point of view chris and definitely thought-provoking and on Denise and Alastair, I think we said it a little bit earlier, I think that Denise is just struggling at the moment with her mm. own domestic situation. I think that she is attracted to Alastair, at the same time is guilty, doesn't want to be seen to be accelerating the breakup of her marriage to John. And so I think that her prickliness is very much because she is afraid of expressing her true feelings. She's afraid of going too far and not being able to step back. And so I, I think, as I said, it's possible that John will end 
realizing that the marriage is over if he doesn't already and finding a new life on St. Lucia, things will resolve themselves without too much angst as a result of that. Very good assessment there, Stephen. Now, before we move on to talk about our Facebook page, let's talk about the Academic Archers and the conference that's planned for the weekend of, unlike what I put on the Facebook page, 27th and the 28th of April at the Quakers Meeting House in Euston Road, London. The box office is now open and the links to that can be found in the show notes. Now, we've been looking through the summaries of the papers that will be presented at the conference, but this week I want to focus on the crafting side of conference. There have always been people who knit, crochet, or bring along their embroidery to occupy the hands during the conference talks. Last year, we had a lot of participants in the Dumpty Dum Academic Archers mashup memorial sheet, which, when raffled off, raised over £500 for Refuge, the charity which helps people who suffer domestic abuse. And whilst this year we're not officially partnering at Academic Archers, the Dumpty Dum community supports this conference, and some of us will be there. As a crafting person, I'm currently working on my first piece in the category of Best Archer's Character Ferret, although I can't quite decide whether he's more Brian or Jimus. We plan some serious Dumpty Dum get-together time during the weekend, Friday night for sure, Saturday evening if there are enough of us who don't have the means for London Indian restaurant prices, picnic in a wine box in the small room somewhere, you never know. But however we get there, let's celebrate ferrets. In honour of the only year the Grundys have got involved in organising anything for the village show, there will be a crafted ferret show at this year's conference. Entries are invited from all crafters, whatever medium. Knitting, crochet, felting, sewing, sculpture, drawing, painting, carving, junk modelling, baking, sugar craft, or even, imagine, fashion from vegetables. Make it naturalistic or use your imagination to maybe create a ferret that looks just like an Ambridge resident. Just bring your handmade ferret or ferrets, because you can enter as many as you want, to the conference to enter. Don't worry if it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, because there's a prize for the ferret that only a mother could love. Acknowledging that some people, me, have an absolute aversion to ferrets, rat-type animals, crafted representations of other Ambridge pets can be entered too, and will have their own prize. Ferrets will be judged by special guests and there will be a people's choice vote for conference attendees. Rosettes will be awarded in the following categories. Most realistic ferret, most edible ferret, ferrets that only a mother could love, the best dressed ferret, best archer's character ferret, the Fallon Burns prize for best ferret made from upcycled objects, the Peggy Woolley prize for the best yarn-based ferret, Best Alternative Ambridge Pet, Best in Show, and the People's Choice. Now, if you have any questions, want more information, you can get in touch with Helen Burroughs and Lou Gillis via the Academic Archers, or me here. I'm looking forward to seeing your ferrets, Jacqueline. I don't think I'm going to enter. Though I have to say that my baguettes probably look more like ferrets than baguettes at times. So. I did see, when I, saw, when I saw those photographs of them, Stephen, I did wonder if you were planning on a uh, baguette ferret. It, it, it might not be impossible. <laughs> uh, they'd have to get it up to London and fit state, and it would probably be quite stale by the time it yes, was but you've exhibited. got other pets. Think about the other pets you could make out of dough. Let your imagination, your proving draw, run wild. Yes, a Hilda pet. Oh, yes, exactly. I don't, think, don't know what Tangle would think of Hilda in your kitchen when she's not allowed in there. <laughs> Let's move on to Facebook, where we have lots of very busy 
friendly, thoughtful, and thought-provoking members. And we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest of them, who are Kate Rogers, Harriet Mills, and Nikki Greenall. Welcome all. Before we hear what our Facebook group has been talking about this week, we're pleased to have recruited one more social media round upper who will be making her debut in the week three slot starting next month. We're still looking for an additional volunteer to cover the first week of each month. For this week, here's Vicky Cole. Hello, everyone. Vicky Cole here, calling you with my social media roundup before Friday's episode. From the last Dumpty Dum show, how lovely to hear from Christine from Kilcraggan. Both my children started school there. It's a beautiful part of the world. We have very fond memories of a Royal Navy posting there over 20 years ago now. And Dusty Substance is the wrong sort of listener, hearing her again after a long while. On the Facebook page this week, we really, really didn't like the practical so-called joke or just a bit of fun that Adam and Tony played on Susan and Clary. William Nolan said that making two elderly women fear for their much-needed income was not appropriate. And Ray Milner's post in the same vein generated a lot of comments about the state of the job market making this in very poor taste. Susan de la Mer and Sue Lee found this to be absolutely not funny. In fact, all the practical joking has been annoying us. Elizabeth Emerson and Sloane Garrett found the aphrodisiac ice cream semi-amusing, but enough is enough. An updated photo of Buffy Davis, who plays Jolene, made its way onto the group via Mike Jennings. There were quite a lot of comments about how we don't picture Jolene looking like that at all. The post that has generated the most comments so far this week was Chris Gibson's question relating to Fallon and Harrison's situation. Is it valid that when one spouse doesn't want to have children, it's a sign that they may not trust the marriage or the other spouse? Thank you to all who shared their views and in many cases their own situations. Our Stephen shared some birthdays and anniversaries that fell this week. Glenn Fullerlove is wondering about the future of the bull. And Marion Sweeney and others are interested in Alistair's romantic life. And on a lighter note, William Nolan feels the BBC has been pushing a despicable anti-cat agenda through the depiction of Hilda. And many agreed. For example, Trevor Williams said it is anti-felinism. There were some lovely pictures of cats. We have so many clever, funny, knowledgeable people on the Facebook page. Do come and have a look and join in if you can. The more the merrier. Well, that's it for this week. Look after yourselves. And bye-bye until next time. Thank you for that, Vicky. And thank you so much to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page. If you'd like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. Though we didn't have any reviews this week. We haven't had any this year. So get your fingers out and leave us some reviews on Apple. Now to Twitter, where you'll find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any archers-based tweets. And as well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Jberto Sanguin. And I can be found at Wenlock House. But we're both spending more time discussing the archers on Blue Sky, where I am at wenlock.bsky.social. And I am at jberto.bsky.social. So, shall we find out who's won the Twitter medals this week? 
tweet, tweet, tiger. <laughs> Hello, Stephen, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Twitter, there was a lot of chatter about whether Harry was on something stronger than liquor, as well as whether Tony made a convincing drunk. Not much sympathy for David, and a tiny bit of enthusiasm for what Alastair and Denise will get up to while her son and husband are many miles away. Over on Bluesker, I did enjoy a thread started by Fussy Coda, fussycoda.bsky.social, who hasn't listened to the Archers for 15 years, so was shocked to hear that Jenny had died and wondered whether Brian was still an arse. On that controversial note, it's time for the medals for Blue Sky Skeets and X-Posts, all of which we continue to consider as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's Verity Kalsev, at Verity Kalsev. I wonder why David wants to hang around the bull all day making cherry flings when he could be out in the mud and rain delivering calves with Pip. The silver medalist is Jessa North at jessanorth.bsky.social. Cute little kittens cowering in the corner is the title of my next horror pop-up book. And the gold medal goes to newcomer Peter Bowker at pbowker7. Welcome to Grey Gables, the last word in bespoke luxury. Tonight we're bussing you off to a barn dance and tomorrow afternoon there's a once in a lifetime trip to the cheese window at a local farm. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on hashtag The Archers, Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thank you for that, Theo. And congratulations to all who were mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget we're on Instagram at Dumpty Dum, where Theo looks after things. But if there's any Dumpty Dumber out there who'd like to take over, please let us know. Next week, we'll be recording at the normal time of first thing Saturday morning. So please get your calls in by midnight on Friday UK time. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support us in so many invaluable ways. Thanks to you lot too. This lovely Dumpty Dum community is why we carry on doing this every week. And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Ormond for their voices and to our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We are now off to enjoy a chocolate biscuit in front of Corrie. So it's goodbye from me. And it's au revoir from me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 